No, guys, we actually still have, we can't talk about the question yet. We still have to record the, the opening. God, Jesus. I'm working <laughs> with children. I'm out. That wasn't readily apparent for the first 24 oh. episodes. Oh, and the helper monkey's coming early. <laughs> Jimmy would like you to know that he's just been sacked. Yes. And has been replaced with a helper monkey. That's good because the helper monkey has been trying to get out of that box that showed up the other day with the holes punched in the top. Oh, shit. Was I supposed to feed him? I thought, yeah, you were supposed to feed him. Oh, quick. Somebody go check. What is a helper monkey supposed to smell like? Me. Sunshine <laughs> and roses. Uh, okay. This one smells like a rotting possum. Did that? No, that. Send it back. <laughs> <laughs> they sent you a defective one. Send it back. Send it back. You're listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 25. Quarter century mark. Woohoo! The one one where Jimmy freaks out and quits. (laughs) Rush out on an uptown train, doors open. As she walks in, she's soaking. Caught in the rain, her skin shines. This is the Give Me Five podcast, where each week we discuss the things that we found interesting or entertaining. This can be movies, music, games, books, streaming, TV, whatever. I'm Jedi Master Rob, and I'm joined as always by Darth Jimmy. Hi. And Salacious Greg. <laughs> okay, so I'm just saying that the Star Wars VR experience might have gotten in my head a little bit when uh, I was writing the script. Perhaps just a tad. Like, I'm having a hard time with real reality. I want to go back to virtual reality. Oh, I just man. Want to go back and sit on the floor and right? refuse to get up. Yeah. Not in the hot part, and, though. And well, there was a stormtrooper. I didn't have a sinus infection. So it was better. So as we're alluding to, this week we finally got a chance to do a couple of things together. We we checked out uh, the virtual reality experience, uh, the Void Star Wars Secrets of the Empire at Disney Springs. Um, we listened to some death metal. We even classed up the place with a musical, even even if Greg refuses to watch them. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan. Spoilers. There might be some. Greg. You forgot the list. I. Yeah. Well, you said I. Yeah. So, yeah, this week we are going to talk about uh, The Void, Star Wars Secrets of the Empire. We're going to ch- talk about the musical The Greatest Showman, which has been out for a few weeks. I think since Christmas, actually. Yeah. A brand new album by the band Tribulation called Down Below. And, uh... Yeah, this is a review show. So as we're talking about these things, uh, there might be some spoilers. Uh, we're going to try to avoid any major twists. Uh, but for example, if you did not know that P.T. Barnum wasn't exactly the nicest of guys, or that Greg, me, has a vivid memory of Rob showing me a painting of a shirtless centaur that apparently didn't actually happen, uh, then you might want to pause and come back later. I am completely... I, I remember that so vividly. Wow. I remember that so vividly. I'm I'm not even sure what to say there, because <laughs> just wow. All right, guys. As always, if you want to get in touch with us here on the show, check us out on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast, and that is 
five spelled out F-I-V-E, not S-I-V-E. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the same handle of Give Me Five Pod. Or if you are a victim of stage fright, see what I did there? <laughs> Shoot us a line no. at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And if you could do us a favor, helps us stand out from the crowd, leave us a review on iTunes, podcast, or whatever app that you are joining us with. And Greg, why don't you give a little love to our fabric shop? Yes. You know, listening to us is great, but wearing us on your chest, even better. (laughs) Or perhaps delicately placing us up against the side of your face. Yes, we have a store. That store has t-shirts. It has cell cases. It's got mugs. So you could place your lips on us. Think about that. How nice would that be? Placing your lips on Rob. Or indeed. I, I feel dirty. So do I. Wow. I finally did it. Anyway, we do have a store. It has very cool stuff. It's very high quality stuff. So it is the give me for give me five podcast dot threadless dot com. You can, of course, just go to threadless dot com and search for us. Very cool stuff. Very affordable prices. And it pays to keep the doors open. I like being dirty. Ugh, that was so gross coming through the headphones. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one of you that was. Not me. I feel a little bit better knowing it was Rob <laughs> in some weird way. But yeah, on with the show. Yes. The show must go on. So do we have anything new? Uh, there's some good news for Jimmy. Oh, yeah. What's that, Greg? Do it. That's what she said. So, <laughs> um, Rob, you'll you'll find this very exciting, I hope. Uh, in a, a very recent search on, um, because I do this every couple of weeks to look for the new, hopefully new news on the book from, uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> looking for, uh, the doors of stone, uh, the final book in the trilogy of the King Killer Chronicles. Sam Raimi has actually been attached to direct the King Killer Chronicles movie. Oh, nice. And Sam Raimi, as you guys might not know, um, is the director of Evil Dead, Dark Man, Drag Me to Hell, and the Tobey Maguire iteration of Spider-Man. He is an accomplished director, and I'm, I was super excited to read this. Um, if you're not familiar, it's based off the, uh, Never trilogy from, uh, the name of the wind from Patrick Rothfuss, first published in you know, the 2008. So hopefully we'll get a third book by the time maybe, the movie comes out. Maybe, maybe and, Mr. Martin yeah. will finish the movie before, you know, Sam Raimi gets to the third movie. Oh, yeah, oh I mean, I mean, Mr. Rothfuss. <laughs> hey, I got that, you. See, but that, that, as soon as they get involved in a TV show, all of a sudden the writers of the book start heading towards scripting and they just start revisiting their previous stuff and then books never get done. Yep. Yeah. You know, they're talking about doing, this thing that they did with the Dark Tower that might happen. We discussed it previously. I, I just really hope he gets a third book out so I can close this thing out. It was, it's fantastic. You know, first two books. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what, uh, quote is up to, you know, or, hopefully. or maybe, or maybe he'll do like Martin and just let the, the script writer just the story. Yeah. He's a lot younger than Martin. So we'll see. Uh, the Oscar nominations came out and yes. honestly, I don't. I don't usually pay much attention to the Oscars other than just to know what's out there. Yeah, neither do I. In fact, I really kind of, as I mentioned last week, I really kind of gave up on them when they gave um, Shakespeare in Love the nod over 
um, Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. But and um, honestly, I do honestly, I don't really but, follow the Oscars all that much because to me, it's you know, uh, rich people awarding rich people for doing yeah, kind stuff. of patting each other on the back. Yeah, I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. If it's a People's Choice Award, maybe, but I uh, whatever. The Academy well, would like to present. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually really excited. Um, it should be no surprise to you guys, but The Shape of Water is nominated for more Oscars than any other movie this year. Yep, it 13 is at of them. 13, and I hope it awesome. sweeps. Lucky uh, number for a 13. monster movie. Yeah. <laughs> for a monster movie that, you know, it's, it's directed by my hero, Guillermo del Toro. I, Mm, fingers crossed. I'm actually going to watch it this year. I was really, I was really excited to see that. Um, yeah. Well, I know Rob's feeling about rich people wording rich people. I, I look at it a little bit from the side of the artist and sure. seeing. I mean, as we've mentioned multiple times, where Jimmy and I work, we see film students, we see that kind of thing. And even though they do push the the technical categories off to like the pre pre show thing, I tend to really look for those guys because I know that those guys tend to go job to job. Um, and also, you know, I know that when someone stretches, if a movie does well and they get an award for a smaller movie that might not make as much money, I'm, I'm happy with that. So I, I do follow it to that extent, especially like the documentaries and the small, the smaller independent films. Um, so it's, I was really happy about shape of water just because it was a passion project for Guillermo del Toro. Um, also and- some of the other things I saw, I, I love that um, Dunkirk got eight nominations. I thought that movie was really interesting. Uh, it also it got a, a nod for a sound mixing by a guy named Gary Rizzo, who is a graduate of the school that Jimmy and I work for, uh, Full Sail University. Uh, he is he has won a whole bunch of awards. For he's various. a Hall of Fame inductee at Full Sail. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the Hall of Fame in a couple of weeks, I believe. But really great guy. Um, so it's not. I like the fact that he is up for the award because. This guy does great work and is willing and able to come back to the school as much as he possibly can to help our students or to help the students of the sound mixing degrees. So I thought that was really great. Um, also, I just lo- I love the fact that Get Out was up for Best Picture and Director because I think Jordan Peele is, is remarkably talented, particularly on the comedy side of things. But I, I really liked that that he got a nomination, although he's up against some pretty stiff competition. So who's who's he who's he up against? Because I've I've. I... And see, that's where I'm a little jaded because I, I I see it in other in other venues where where they get awarded for the concept, not necessarily the product. Like, oh, I you know, this, up against. this is such a this is such a you know hot button issue. You know, we have to award this because you know it's because of the story or because of this or because you know you mentioned that it's like. It, not not necessarily the quality of the product that, get, that gets put out, but the underlying message that they're trying to send. And I'm like, come on, just whatever. Uh, he is. Up I'm totally against, jaded. <laughs> yeah, up against um, uh, Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, uh, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, and Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. Um, I would be willing to guess on this one that. I kind of I want the Shape of Water to win. I would that would be my pick. I would guess that Greta Gerwig is going to take it for Lady Bird because that currently has the most buzz. But we'll see what ha- we'll probably end up doing something eventually where we talk a little bit more about that. So that, that's you know some of the news that kind of caught our mind. I, I did want to make note 
I haven't told you guys this yet, but um, I caught Mewtwo tonight. Good work, Jimmy. Thank you. Nerd! <laughs> Every time we call Jimmy a nerd, you know, I, one of us has to at least be like, hey, did you finish the raid tonight in Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes? <laughs> I I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I forgot. So Well, I caught a Mewtwo, so whatever with your Star Trek stuff. <laughs> oh, you little bitch. <laughs> well, now all of us are getting replaced by helper monkeys. You're the last one left. So yeah, you're, you two are getting um, replaced by a helper monkey. It's just going to be a big old like dart throwing, feces throwing party up in here. If you replace me with a helper Mewtwo, I'm fine with that. So so here we go. Since we're all going to be replaced by helper monkeys, I don't think the helper monkeys will do nearly as good if they were to go to the void Star Wars Secrets of the Empire at Disney Springs. How was that? For oh, man. How was that for a, for a little segue? It's good. <laughs> so the like we said, the void, the void is a Star Wars experience. Um, they, they bill it as a hyper reality experience. But it's located at Disney Springs, and the official description is, under the orders of the Budding Rebellion, your team will travel to the molten planet of Mustafar. Your mission is to recover Imperial intelligence vital to the Rebellion's survival. And alongside the pragmatic droid K2SO, your team must navigate through an enemy facility, walking into danger at every turn. Disguised as stormtroopers, grab your blaster, solve the puzzles, and fight giant lava monsters in an effort to fulfill your team's orders. The Void is a full sensory immersive experience with you, your friends, and family walking around inside the action. Yeah, and when they say walking around, you are walking around. We talked about this previously. We kind of speculated about it where I had seen some kind of behind – because you really can't – people are like, oh, did you take pictures? Did you take video? And I'm like, no, you really can't. Because you have the, you know, goggles on your face, you have the haptic feedback vest on. You're pretty much in empty rooms. Yeah, you can't, you you, you can't Instagram that. You know, you are, I mean, it's everything that you, I guess, wished that laser tag would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How? And... And actually, you you can see our immediate our immediate uh, post experience response to it um, up on Earsom Emporium YouTube. Yep. The, our video review is actually up on Earsom Emporium. Um, so if you just go to YouTube, look for Earsom Emporium, you should be able to find us there, giving a review of the void. But and we'll, we'll try to relink that. We'll link that to our our Facebook. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, it was very interesting. It was you you go in there, and I was actually a little nervous, but not. I was nervous. Not because I thought I was going to get hurt or anything like that, but I was nervous because of motion sickness thoughts. And I was like, uh. And, mm-hmm. and how did that work out for you, Greg? It was fine. 100. I was completely. The only side effect was the fact that I was so energized for the rest of the night that it took me like an hour longer to fall asleep than it would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, and it was, it was definitely a very, very realistic experience. Um, I mean, there are times where you're almost like up in the air on a catwalk or whatever, and you can look down and see the ground below you, and it feels like you're up that high. And even though you know you're on like completely level ground and there's no way that you're going to fall, you're still kind of like wavering, and it's like, oh, you know. Yeah, I actually watched my, my two partners, Jimmy and his girlfriend, walk across one of those things, and I like hesitated. I was like, what happens if you kind of step off the side of it? Because it looks like a a catwalk with a kind of holes through it. The thing I thought was interesting, or the thing I was like, oh boy, 
when right when we were first about to go in, the guy that worked there asked us if we'd done it before, and he said it was a life-changing experience. And he was really cool. It was really nice. He was really knowledgeable and stuff like that. But in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, oh, right. Shit. I, I wish he didn't say that because now there's nothing that's going to live up to it. You know, it's like oh, someone constantly saying you have to do this, you have to read this, you have to do whatever. It's the best, it's the best, it's the best. And then you do it and you're like, well, no, it wasn't. And in a way, he, I don't I don't know if he undersold it, but it was – it sold VR to me in ways that it's never been. You know, like I've worked in VR. Jimmy's worked in VR. We've yeah. Know yeah. What's, we know what's going on behind the scenes. So it takes a lot more to impress us. And this totally impressed me. It sold VR in a way to me that – um, I woke up the next day and I was a little sad that I wasn't still there. And I can see these things, you know, a snow crash or ready player one, um, or even the, the works of Philip K. Dick where, you know, it's an escape. It's a, it's a new reality for people. Um, I, I can't even begin to explain how much it was like being in an actual star Wars movie, mm-hmm. you know, not, acting the part where you go back to your trailer and it came, but you were in the middle of combat mm-hmm. with stormtroopers and so they you were it, getting hit, you were getting shot, you were having to figure things out. And, you know, and for those people who are wondering how it is that they set it up, the VR was designed with their, the, their programming was designed with the environment that they had set up. So, yep. so where, where you saw a wall, there was actually was, a wall there. Yeah. And it, it took it took a minute or two for me to actually trust that those things were there. Yeah, because I can remember yeah. my first experience with VR was at a, a big arcade we have in in Chesapeake, Virginia. It's not there anymore, but it was called Funscape, where you kind of stood in this ring on a kind of like a treadmill kind of thing, mm-hmm. and you would be walking and everything, but. It wasn't as free. You were confined to a space, but here, I mean, you were, you know, we were waiting in line. I saw a guy run out of a door and I was like, ah, that dork, you know, what's he doing? And (laughs) you know, when we got in there, I find myself running out of that door. Yeah. Trying to get cover from stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Yeah. So it's called extrasensory or they say it's extrasensory. They they use another word as well, which I don't remember at the moment. Hyper reality. Uh, Hyper reality. Hyper reality. And what that means is, you know, you, you, he mentioned the lava, but when it first starts, you step onto like, we're not going to tell you the whole story because it's very cool and there's puzzles and things, but you step on, you're in a cargo ship. And when you step into it and you feel the engines of the cargo ship kind of humming beneath your feet, almost like a, uh, like when you're on, if you take a cruise ship or if you're on a boat, like when I felt that I was immediately in there and like, I looked up and my my partners were all they look like stormtroopers to me and i'm sure i look like stormtroopers to them yeah and they were all the same height that they should be it was weird yeah and th- so from that point on i was i was interacting with the world the digital world not the real world you know to the point of where like i had to stop myself from you know knocking on someone's head to see if it was like a stormtrooper helmet on them <laughs> yeah and and jimmy tell tell them tell them about uh your your experience with k2so <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh, <laughs> oh man, um, there's, so you have controls on the side of your head, which control the volume of, you know, the information you're, you're being fed by, I guess, let's just say the NPCs and the environment, but you can also hear your, um, your teammates, uh, via microphone, 
Well, I, you walk into one room and you have to, this is really no spoiler. You, you're sitting on that transport and while well, you're, you're standing there, I wasn't sitting, uh, but K2 is in the corner and he's kind of saying, oh, okay, this is what we can do and everything. He's reaching out and I'm standing there in front of him, uh, just looking up at it, just in complete awe. Fondling him. Like, fondling him. Oh, okay. So I'm touching his face and I'm like, like rubbing grabbing, his hands around it. And yeah, it was. Yeah. Grabbing his, 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 uh, you know, stomach and. Yeah, it sounds super weird, but I'm like caressing his face and everything. And I I look back and uh, Greg and my girlfriend are both sitting very complacently on on this little bench. And I get and and, and somebody says, "Oh yeah, sit down." And I go, "When did they say that?" So I'm just standing there touching K two the whole time. And I go, and this was the part for me that really kind of tied it in. I I was like, "Oh, I." wait how are you guys wait are you are you guys actually sitting right there and i went back and i put the hand down and my girlfriend was right there at the end of my stormtrooper arm so i sat down that's where i really learned to trust the environment now i got an email from the void after the fact and k2 has oh, yeah. filed a restraining order <laughs> so um, it wasn't so much the touching of the face that did it, it was the stomach area so and and below yeah, yeah. well i apologize to the um, to mr so <laughs> yeah um i hope that i'll be allowed back on disney property someday excellent um some of the other part of this this hyper reality was i mean you walk into after that vibrating room of course you walk out and there you're on mustafar which is again not too much of a thing it's it, when you walk into the place you kind of see where what planets you're going to and yeah, it's pretty hot you can smell sulfur Sulfur, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can feel heat feel the coming heat. up, which right. is crazy. And it, and it brings you there. It makes you nervous to be walking across these catwalks and stuff. And then, of course, um, at a certain point, you get to reach out and grab a blaster and start blasting stormtroopers, which was... Oh, man. I've talked, a lot, so of, I've talked a lot about my childhood, you know, in prepping for this episode. And that was yet another thing. <laughs> getting to be a stormtrooper, getting to blast stormtroopers. <laughs> Sorry. Two bucket list cro- items crossed off. Yep. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. All right, guys. It was been, it's been good. Thank you so much. Uh, never mind. Yeah. It was about, you know, what was about a little over 30 bucks per person? 35. But definitely recommended. It. It's super fun. Granted, yeah. granted, it's about 35 bucks for 15 minutes. Um, you spend a lot of time. If you, <laughs> if you go, uh, during the day, you're probably going to spend a lot of time waiting because it is it is a fairly long line. Um, and if you go during the evening, you're probably going to have some drunk people in line with you. So it, since it's a since it's a hyper reality experience, they actually really do involve all of your senses. I mean, from from sight with the VR to um, you know feeling it. The, you know, feeling the heat and feeling the, um, like melted metal underneath your shoes yep. to, to the sounds and everything that you hear, which could tie us into our next one. We've got an album. Oh, wait, next, did, right? did anyone else feel that hand like awkwardly trying to reach and unzip someone's zipper? Or was that just because we were there with Rob? Actually, that's because you were there with Jimmy because I was not in your group. Remember, we, we got split up because we had five. Apparently, the largest group you can have is four. Oh, okay. So that that zipper action was Jimmy. No, it was K two. 
So, so he has a restraining order against Jimmy. Does that mean that you have a restraining order against K2SO? I will. Yeah. 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 What we, when we prepare these episodes, there's the day before there's usually notes and scripts that go around and then we kind of text each other various ideas and stuff like that. And, um, kind of late in the afternoon today, Jimmy sent me a thing saying, listen, Hey, listen to the new tribulation album called down below, which is not too much of a stretch for me as I tend to be a big fan of heavy metal, probably a way more of a stretch for Rob, which you'll kind of figure out as you're listening. Yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about a new heavy metal album or what is it? What do they consider black metal or melodic metal or oh, it, gothic metal? It's, it's hard to say. I don't, I really don't like to get too far into subgenres, but sometimes it's the best way to explain to people. Um, Tribulation is a black metal band from Sweden. Um, however, a lot of people associate the, you know, black metal with blast beats and super fast, but Tribulation they're gothic. They're if somebody says, "Oh, well, what kind of music are they like?" They're it's like heavy metal that vampires will listen to. Um, they don't wear your typical coarse paint like a lot of black metal bands do, but you know their music is very, uh, in my opinion, melodic. Uh, you know, uses synthesizers. It's it's almost like if you were you know listening to the score for Bram Stoker's Dracula with uh, very growly kind of screamy vocals. Um, like yeah. I said, they are from Sweden. They're from Arvika, Sweden. And this is their third studio album. It was released on January 26th. Why is there a f- and, uh, fourth question mark? I put a, I put a fourth because um, some of the articles I read while I was kind of listening uh, said that it was actually their fourth studio album because they had an album called Horror, which I believe was independently released. And it's that one's supposed to be pure dark death metal. And I can hear Jimmy checking me furiously <laughs> typing yeah angrily so no you're right um the horror was released in 2009 so this would be their fourth studio album i'm i stand corrected the horror was pure black metal um followed by the formulas of uh, formulas of death which was also very heavy very dark very you know true to to black metal um, where they pr- progress with their third studio album, The Children of the Night, which is a, you know, it's, uh, almost a, a direct reference from Bram Stoker's Dracula to Down Below, their fourth studio album, um, which is a, a progression. And I, I really respect the, that from them. Um, while the, the music has evolved and it's grown to be a lot more melodic, the, uh, lead singer slash bass player has stayed really consistent uh, throughout the releases. And, you know, I, I really enjoy it. Um, some of my, my favorite tracks off the, the albums uh, or this album are Lady Death. As you bring these up, yeah. um, I, I kind of did a track by track noting. Okay. Um, I'm not going to talk about all of them because of time situation, but like kind of pause after you kind of, after you give your opinion and all it's what I think is going to be interesting here is you're all in. Yep. I'm largely in, okay. and I think Rob is on the others. So we're we're in a spectrum. You're all in on it. I'm in the middle, and Rob is on the the tail end. So I, I think it'll be kind of interesting. Yeah, Lady Death um, really tells a story. I I really appreciate the fact that you can understand the vocals. Um, you can. I I can. I could as well, and I usually cannot. I definitely could. Yeah. Okay. So I thought. That- 
I thought that one, the, as soon as I heard that opening kind of organ mm-hmm. music and that, I, that brought me right to the Castlevania show. And I was like, man, if they could get a hold of this song to do as, you know, as part of the Castlevania thing, it, I was like, it's, that's like, I closed my eyes and that's what I saw. I was also driving. So then I saw people flying <laughs> up the whole <laughs> car and I was immediately, I was immediately brought back to reality. Uh, um, along with police charges. Yes. <laughs> um, the other track, uh, come become to be as I'm listening to this, I'm driving as, and, and I go, man, it, can this be the same song that I was listening to earlier? And these th- same three tracks kept popping up. It was lady death come become to be and here be dragons, which I think here be dragons is the big standout on this album. It's the most fantastical track uh where it kind of you know lady death or here you know come become to be talks about kind of you know death and reanimating the dead where here be dragons it's just kind of like you know flying through a dragon lance book yeah that was that had a really great like a warm piano sound it was it didn't there was a lot of synth throughout the album but that one seemed like it was a real piano and it really warmed up the track because for, for me, um, black metal and death metal and all that, partially from where it's from, usually, it's a very cold mm-hmm. type of music, which I love, especially in the winter. Mm-hmm. So it's not too hard to get me to listen to that in the winter. Um, but when I heard the warm piano, it, I mean, it warmed me up from that song. That was the longest song on the album. It was the kind of, well, I don't know if it was the closing track, but it was towards the end. Mm-hmm. And it was a... It was, I hate this term, but it was fairly epic in scale. It had a lot of progression changes, had a lot of different instrumentation, and it told a story. It did. Now, what did you think of Lady Death and Come Become to Be? As you uh, myself? Uh, yeah. Um, somehow I did not take notes on Come Become to Me, but Lady Death I put up there as I liked it. Um, I thought that it was um, – it had a very classic type guitar solo that really harkened back to some Dream Theater solos. That's a big departure for this album, I think. Yeah, it was – um more independent guitar work from the two guitar players. Yeah, I thought that was really good. It had a – you could definitely see the the solo guitar weaving in and out of the song as the rhythm guitar kind of progressed forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely started off, as I said, with the organ, but it did it, – that was the one that I think led to the most death metal style vocals where for me, and Rob, you'll probably not know this reference until I follow up. But when I first heard it, my my note very much says singer needs a lozenge. (laughs) Um, And then I, and then as soon as I started thinking of the singer more like Lemmy from Motorhead. It's the ace of spades. So I think Rob would recognize it more as uh, time to play the game. game. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. As soon as I started thinking it, yeah, as soon as I started thinking about it a little bit more like that, the vocals really grew on me. I think what they do is every couple of years when the singer gets bronchitis, they go they make an album. All right, it's time make to make an, an album. album. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I don't really have a a, a track by track breakdown. I actually didn't get to listen to all of the tracks. I listened to like the first three. I think mm-hmm. uh, they were the only ones I could find links for. Yeah, um, Lament. They actually have a. A video for yeah, and, and I think it, I think it happened to be the ones that all had videos. So I listened to uh, Lament. Uh, what is it? Nightbound. Nightbound. Nightbound and, yeah. Nightbound and Lady Death. Yeah, those were the those were the three I listened to. Um, so I don't have a track by track breakdown of it, but what I what I got from it and what I felt was that one, I liked the music. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I enjoyed the music. I thought the music was good. Um, it's not really my style, but it wasn't anything that like evoked any kind of serious negative response for me. What I didn't like was the singer. I thought the okay. singer was absolutely terrible. And it's mm-hmm. not because of the style of singing, because he has that really like screaming, deep, raspy, um, almost eating the mic kind of scream. Yep. Um, but it was more cookie monster vocals I've heard. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was it was more that the musicality, if you will, yeah. of the music, there was enough tone and change and musicality to the music that the style of singing that they chose to do didn't really seem to fit it to me. And it was it was like they were taking two different styles and trying to jam them together even though they didn't fit. Yeah, there's um, not there's not it, a lot of variation in his singing style. No, there's not. And yeah. and it may be it may have been that I would have liked it better mm-hmm. had the lead singer been a female and sang in a little bit of a higher key because for the for all of the songs I listened to, it really kind of just seemed like the singer was out of key because there's enough musicality in the music to warrant singing in key, and he just refuses to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, or or even a duet kind of situation where there's two vocalists. Well, see, that's a male and female playing off of each other would be great, right? But that's but where... for, but for me, anytime that he sings. It mm-hmm. seems like he's never on key. And and that's the best way that I can relate it. Okay. Um, and it wasn't really that I had a problem with the way he was singing. It's just the way he was singing combined with the music didn't really mesh. And it, it like I said, it, I spent most most of all of the songs thinking, God, the music is really good, but it sounds like he's singing off key. And mm-hmm. if you've ever heard like a musical song where the singer is out of key, it sounds horrendous. Mm-hmm. I put a lot of notes down about the music being very uplifting. There was at least parts of a lot of the songs that had an uplifting, usually the guitar, usually the solo guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, there was a song called The World, which was very uplifting. And I thought that, in a way, the the singer grounded it because there are some synth sounds, otherworldly sounds, very um, almost pristine, shimmery, like w- well-produced sounds in these songs. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the the singer almost brought it back to earth, and that can be a positive or a negative. In Rob's case, a negative. In mine, thinking it from that style, actually, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Like it start, it made me like it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I think there's a there's a place. Um, there are in you know the the black metal or kind of progressive metal realm. There are a lot of bands who do that duet kind of style singing, whether it's with a male and female or a male and operatic male vocals like Demu Borgir or, you know, there are a number of, of other bands um, that do the same. And I think with this album, I think Tribulation can be considered a force in their own. I think mm-hmm. they're, you know, to be There's some very interesting. I had not heard of them. Mm-hmm. So I... And as I've said before, when I listen, when I'm bringing, when I listen to something or talk to something on the podcast, I want to make sure that it's, you know, it's a, a death metal band. I don't, I want to find out that these, we're going to talk about a band that, you know, oh, they also sacrifice kittens on stage during their shows. Like, I want to find out that that's, there's something behind them that's not terrible or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did some of the thing and like, I, I saw a really interesting article. The guy that saw them, saw them in like a club that held like a hundred people in New York. 
and a club is going to get a hundred people through the door in New York, like on any night, much less when a pretty large, pretty operatic band is coming through. And I thought that was so interesting that they're not, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to be bigger or they are getting bigger because their albums are getting bigger and Mm -hmm. it seems like they're well-funded. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting. Also, their their album covers were very cool, not in the well drawn type of thing, but they their all their album covers seem to look like something that you would see in a movie, yeah. as like the the hieroglyph that someone finds that turns mm-hmm. them that gets them possessed by a demon or something. They're very like gothic art nouveau kind of like the Babadook, like it looked like yeah. the Babadook, or Babadook, and it's. You know, their last two albums, uh, you know, Down Below and Children of the Night were, you know, if you look back on the the horror and, um, you know, Formulas of Death, they were – Formulas of Death and the horror were just like, hey, we're a death metal, black metal band. You know, this one's just kind of like, hey, okay, we found our niche. We're doing our thing and, uh, you know, love or delete it. So I really enjoy it. And and to me the the best way that I can and I, I I think I texted you guys this this uh analogy earlier. To me the best way that I can describe it is it's it's like taking the the lead singer from Death Clock, um, if you're familiar with that band, and having him sing like A C D C songs. It yeah, it just and if, it just didn't fit. It's if if that's your only point of death metal reference, I totally get that. And and you know, I've grown up with death metal, you know, Cannibal Corpse. I, mm-hmm. I could go on and on and on. I, I think if you listen to death metal, black metal in a whole, I think the singer has a very unique, uh, you know, kind of vocal style. Um, that's, that's, you know, very different from a lot of, a lot of bands where I can hear it and, you know, I think, you know, death clock, I have my own opinions on that, but I really enjoy it. And, uh, it's gonna stay on yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue listening to that album, and I'm gonna also try to pick up the their previous album that you mentioned. It sure run that's really good. You might not enjoy the the horror or uh, formulas of death too much. And um, you know, you can also check out our other podcast, Rob Listens to Death Metal, in which we tie Rob to a chair and force him to listen to death metal, <laughs> and then we get his review on it while he's like, chained outside naked in a hurricane. Like like exactly. I said. Like I said, I don't have a problem with with the music. I don't have a problem with singing that way. It was just the way that the songs that I listened to were presented. The it it didn't seem to match. We're gonna have to try so much harder. Yeah, Jimmy. When we, when we do when we do record that podcast, we're gonna we're gonna just I'm, you know bring on the the Campbell Corp. I'm, I'm so, gonna call, I'm gonna call in my helper monkey for that episode. All right. So you know shifting gears and and but also staying in the same vein um of albums that made me want to kill myself uh rob let's talk about uh the movie you saw (laughs) i'm kidding well i i had an opportunity to see the greatest showman um and it actually is a really good movie uh and that's about pt barnum yes it is it is about pt barnum and the formulation of his circus okay um it's it's based on the story of P.T. Barnum, um, and this is this is one of the things where where I start to I start to have a little bit of reservation as far as taking historical stories and Hollywooding them up and it's very sugar coated. Oh wow! Um, it would kind of be like a hundred years from now doing a movie about Donald Trump and having it be about equality and, and all of that. Um, all right. 
PT okay. PT Barnum was not really a nice guy, and he exploited like all of his workers and everything. But in the movie, he's like a very congenial, friendly guy, and he you know brings all these people up and makes them feel good about themselves. And it's like, yeah, no, I mean, this is a man who who exploited a blind, deaf old black woman as George Washington's um, nursemaid. And said she was 160 years old. Yeah, and said she was 160 years old until the day she died and then charged people to see her corpse. I'm like, he was was not a nice man. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. You know, we're talking about sugarcoating it, yeah. Um, He also perpetuated the myth that uh, elephants could not feel pain through their thick skin. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But But it's a movie. As when I went through school, I was in advertising when I went through college and advertising and marketing. And you can, I mean, one of the classes with you can mark it down that you had to listen to and go to was about P.T. Barnum because he was not only a genius of marketing, but he was a genius of, you know, when someone figured out that he was wrong, he was like, okay, why don't you now come see what I was wrong about? So, like, he showed all those ghost photographs, which is a recent episode of Lore was about P.T. Barnum and, or mentioned P.T. Barnum and, and how he was debunking these photographs. And he told everyone that they were real. And then when everyone was like, no, they're not real. And when he finally said they're not real. Come see how people, I did it. Yeah, he said, come see how, how it was done or how they how they looked. And even the, the Fiji mermaid, which is a big one. Mm-hmm. And I think... I don't know where it is now, but I, I vaguely remember seeing the, the Fiji mermaid or a fake version of it at the uh, Ripley's, Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum yeah. in uh, St. Augustine is where I saw it. Well, I think they have a and, fake one of it here in Orlando also. Okay. This was in like 1994 or 93. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But so I knew about that. And it was, you know, again, once they figured out it wasn't real, more people want to see it to be like, oh, look, I saw that fake thing that everyone was talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, that it is genius marketing, but again someone that they, they it's weird they they sugarcoated some stuff and then they added some stuff from what i heard into the movie like they added entire characters that were not you know, real like uh um the opera singer was real but yes the, the story the, behind her was not yeah and the zendaya character was completely was not made real. up and neither was, was zach, zach Efron's Efron. character. yeah he was completely made up as well now in all honesty i'm pretty sure zach efron is also made up because no one could possibly be that dreamy. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Yeah. Now, he's no Jason Momoa. Few people are. Or Jason Momoa's pecs. <laughs> Miami but, man. But um, the the movie in it, in and of itself is good. And and I know that you know Greg will hate watching it. And in fact, that will be Greg's punishment at some point. We will tie him up outside the studio and make him watch all kinds of musicals over and over and over again. The, see the music in that one. We're, I'm sure we're going to talk about it. I know we're going to talk about it later. But the music from that one's not all that bad. It's and and, it's, and it doesn't do the thing that I hate. I overacting gets me mm-hmm. on certain things, which is weird because I love cheesy, but like. And this is where I, I know I'm going to lose nerd cred here, but stuff like um, the like Clue and uh, Rocky Horror, like I I can't stomach that at all. Oh so, my god! And I, there's a common thread, with a common actor in both of those movies, but um, like I can't stand overacting, and a lot of musicals do that, and like do the, the singing back and forth song thing, and that listening to the soundtrack, it wasn't quite that bad. And and I have to say that there's there's some really really good musical numbers. 
Um, and I, and I really would, I, I, I really hope that you guys actually give the movie a chance and check it out. Um, because there's, there's at least one number in particular. It sounds great. Um, it's probably, I'd have to say it, it might be my favorite, but it's really hard to beat. This is me. This is me is pretty much the anthem of the movie. And it's such a powerful song. And it's, it's that moment where the quote unquote freaks start to take charge um, of their lives and basically own who they are and say, you know, we don't care what you think, you know, this is who we are. You need to deal with it. And it's such a powerful song and such a powerful moment in the movie that it's really hard to top that as the number one song. Mm -hmm. But there's another song in the movie that I absolutely loved. And it was the other side. Uh, This is me just while you're talking about it. This is me. I believe is up for the Academy award for best song. Okay. Uh, and it is at currently at five to one odds with "Remember Me" by from Coco at four to nine odds. So those two are the big ones that are going to mm-hmm. go up against each other. Nice. And and I would, if I were picking, I would pick "This Is Me" over the one from Coco over "Remember Me." Um, but there's another song in the movie called "The Other Side," and it's sung by Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron. And it's all about Hugh Jackman trying to convince Zac Efron to become part of the business. Um, Zach Efron is a, is a, a wealthy socialite and Hugh Jackman is trying to get him to teach him the secrets of appealing to the upper class so that he can draw more people into his show. And the, just the, the choreography that goes along with that song is absolutely amazing. Um, Zach and Hugh Jackman are singing this song in a bar over shots and, the bartender is fantastic. If you watch the scene, try and focus on the bartender because all of the stuff that he's doing, he's like a flair bartender. I don't know if you've ever seen a flair bartender. Mm-hmm. But I, I sort of semi-trained with one from cocktail with one of my roommates was taking yeah. flair classes and I happen to go with him. And it's, it's absolutely amazing, but everything is timed perfectly. I mean, he moves stuff around. He slides stuff down the bar. They're, they're, it's just all over the place. And just watching it while they're, while they're pounding these shots back, slamming, slamming them back onto the counter in perfect time with the music. It's like, this is amazing. I mean, there's even one part in the song where the, um, where Hugh and Zach are taking shots, but they're in the middle of singing a line together. And when Hugh Jackman takes the shot, Zach Efron keeps singing. And then Hugh slams the cup down, Zach downs the shot, and Hugh, and Hugh Jackman takes up the line without a missed beat. It's absolutely amazing. And I, I just, just that scene, that scene just really got to me. And as I'm watching that scene, I'm like, God, this is a really cool looking scene. I love yeah. this. You can, that bleeds through. Now, I haven't seen the movie, um, disclaimer, but. Mm-hmm you can hear that happening in the song. So, mm-hmm. Like the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, they're doing this weird, like back and forth thing, but you can hear the glasses moving around and you know, on my like third listen to it, I really came to appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, hearing that I was like, oh, okay, I don't really care to see this movie, but now I'm like, okay, now I want to, I want to put that visual to the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's 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 really worth it if you if you get a chance check it out. Um, unfortunately, like this is me. There's not a video attached like on YouTube anywhere. 
Um, well, there is one, but it's it's a bootleg. It's really poor film quality, so you can't really you can't really see what you're looking at. So I wouldn't recommend that. I'd recommend yes. checking out the movie. Um, I'd rather wait. Until yeah, I can see it. Yeah, and it's it's really really well done. And the yeah, movie, I thought. Go ahead. I thought that um, Hugh Jackman usually when they'll put like a major actor in a musical, um, their voice doesn't hold up. And I, I personally prefer um, my Hugh Jackman uh, kind of shirtless. And you know, screaming as a razor sharp blades are piercing through his skin. And <laughs> but yeah, like that's my version of Hugh Jackman. Um, but I thought that his voice was actually really good, and it was still him. It was still his personality. You could still tell it was him. Yeah, but it wasn't bad or flat. And in fact, no, it, I was going to say go the ahead. only person in the movie who didn't sing their part was Rebecca Ferguson, who played the um, who played Jenny Lind, the 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 opera singer. Yeah. Which makes sense because she had to be spectacular. Yeah, which well, which kind of makes sense because one of the things that they got wrong was that Jenny Lind in history was actually a soprano, and the character they oh. got to do the singing voice sang alto. And it's like, well, if she's not on screen anyway, why couldn't you get a soprano to actually sing it? Yeah, my my wife uh, really in- enjoyed this movie and did. You know, she told me afterwards that I would actually like it. And as I mentioned in the past three episodes or so, I've been really stuck in that time period, like with everything I've wanted to watch and see. So I'm going to watch it when it comes out on video. Um, you know, for me, it wasn't the type of movie that I'm willing to spend $70 on between babysitters and movie tickets and stuff yeah. like that. But the visuals of the trailer look really good. Uh, I've now heard the soundtrack. It's also one of those things that I it's safe to listen to in the car with my child who's now starting mm-hmm. to actually pay attention to lyrics of songs. And... Yeah, you know, there's certain things I don't want to have to explain to him. So, you know, it's something I can I can actually listen to, and it's not. And I, I'm underselling it by saying it's not terrible. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, and yeah. and the song "This Is Me" is absolutely fantastic. the 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 chorus The chorus is really, really, yeah, just mm. <laughs> does things to Rob. Does yeah, it does. Well, that's no. that's mostly Hugh Jackman, but. <laughs> damn good yeah so the song that i did not enjoy the most was never enough and i i agree 100 percent. it just i i think the i think the only three words or maybe four words were uh never enough never enough never enough for me in the whole song and then you know i'm listening to the soundtrack now i have not seen the movie yet but you know, listening to the soundtrack on the way home, I hear the the reprise, which I guess is a thing that they do in musicals, where a child sings it, but it's only like twenty seconds on the the soundtrack. So I'm like, what? I don't. Oh, whoa, whoa! And and by the time I was like, oh, it's over. So I I did not enjoy those reprises, but I'm sure in the context of the movie, actually seeing it, I might. But um, I am looking forward to seeing yeah. it on the big screen, um, you know, when it does come to the, the dollar theater. And, and also of note, um, they, in, in addition to the, uh, to the whole singing voice thing, they, they kind of did Jenny Lynn's character, a, um, a disservice. Um, mm-hmm. Jenny Lind was a very altruistic, um, uh, person for that time period. Um, and in, in history, uh, or you know, in in actual in reality, Jenny Lind ended up quitting the tour with with P. T. Barnum 
because the 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 schedule of touring was just too much for her. Um, and the way she was being promoted, I saw as right, well. Right. And the way she was being promoted, she didn't, she wasn't comfortable with it. And the touring schedule was just too much for her. But she also donated like all of her, all of her proceeds to charity. And I think it came out to, at, at the time it was like, uh, I want to say like $150,000 that she had made from doing this tour. But by today's standards, that would have been the equivalent of like $10 million or $20 million, something like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And mm-hmm. she donated every penny of it Damn. to charity. To charity, um, and and they kind of they kind of hinted at that um, during the movie. So I mean, I guess I can forgive them a little bit, but what they did to her character and why she actually ended the tour in the movie were completely different than why she ended the tour in real life. Yeah, did, did they not hint at any of the the dark parts of PG Barnum in the movie, or did they just like the, can't the, get all of it? The the darkest part of P.T. Barnum in the movie was that he was just so completely obsessed with, I guess, for lack of a better term, making it, um, having having his name be synonymous with like the the social circles, um, that mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of lost sight of like everything, his family, the 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 people that he got to join his circus. Um, to begin with, um, and he, he kind of lost sight of who he was basically like, like all, like all, uh, redemption stories. He loses sight of who he is and, you know, is brought back to earth. Um, but that was, that was the extent of the dark side of PT Barnum in the movie. Gotcha. Which makes sense since they had, since they made it a musical. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why I tend to gravitate more towards the documentary side of things Mm -hmm. where you get to see that kind of that side of things where they're not, you know, doing a hero piece. Yes. This, this movie was, was by no means historically accurate. There was a guy named PT Barnum and there was, <laughs> there was a museum. Um, I think most of the stuff in the middle is made up. <laughs> There's a fire. <laughs> there was a fire. And, and I almost included this in our, um, in our last our alternate reality question. Yeah, our our last episode of the um, yeah the his the fictional movie with a actual historical character. Yeah, it would have worked. So, in honor of the Greatest Showman, which actually was a fantastic movie, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. We're gonna go over our top five musical movies. Good luck, Greg. Yay. <laughs> I am so excited about this opportunity. All right, I tell you what. How about I start it off? Because Please do. When Go for it. posed with this question, I said I, I rolled my eyes when I got the text message because I'm that guy who'll say, "Man, I really hate musicals," and it's not out of machismo or anything. It's just because I, I guess the movies that have made my list. I when I watch them, machismo was a very strong word. Thank you. I like that. I yeah. don't associate these movies with being musicals. Um, so let's just get right into it. But needless to say, this list for me was really easy to put together. I'm I'm gonna call you out on one of your on one of your uh one of your choices, but go ahead. Okay. Number five. You just tell me when. I will. Number five, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yeah, oh, I hate that scene. Oh what? Did it scare you? Shut yeah. your mouth, Greg. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Number four. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go on. Is more of a comedy. 
but it is Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah, I guess that would qualify. Yeah. 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 Number three is Rock and Roll High School. I've never seen it. So and I'm willing to bet that Greg hasn't seen it either. Yes, he has. Oh my God. Uh, I actually don't think I have. You have not seen Rock and Roll. I'm really surprised. And we, and we fail again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super surprised because it was heavily, it, I mean, it was centered around the Ramones. And that's what made it great. I've seen clips of it, and I've read books about the making of it, but I've not seen it. Number two is going to be Cannibal the Musical. And that's where I'm going to call you out. Because you started off by saying, I don't associate these movies with being musicals. That's in the freaking title, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but... Okay. It's from Trey Parker and Matt Stone. You could call South Park a musical. I, but this one is actually called The Musical. I know, but when I watched it, I did not put that together because I was laughing the whole time. It didn't strike me as the, you know, the guys snapping their fingers on a chorus line, you know, kind of, you know, slick back hair, West Side Story oh, kind of. And my number one, I'd do myself an injustice if I did not mention the man himself, David Bowie, my number one musical is Labyrinth, musical movie. Uh, he cut out on that one. Did he cut out for uh, you? Guys? Quite a bit, yes. For uh, for say, for us say guys. That number one again. Okay. Hello. Yeah, I hear you. All right, and for my number one, I would be remiss if I did not mention the man himself, David Bowie. My number one pick for musical movie is Labyrinth. The Babe. What Babe? The one with the power. What power? I didn't like that when I first saw it either. Really? It scared the hell out of me. Well, yeah, that's why. <laughs> that one. Hello. Yeah. I'm sorry, but did you say hello? No, I said hello, but that's close enough. <laughs> wow. Okay, so here we go. I, you know what? I'm going to step up. All right. I'm jumping it, in. Greg. Go let's for it. it. Okay. Now, as with most people, I do my best thinking in the shower. Okay, so. Or, or when your wife does it for you. Yes. So what <laughs> I did was, when posed with this question. Prepare I did a list for me. I did think, wow, you know, I really liked Rock of Ages, which was the 80s metal one. But it did have Tom Cruise in it, so right there I had to not talk about it. Yeah, no, that that's a disqualifying factor right there. So I was like, <laughs> oh, wife, prepare a list of the five best musicals. And now my wife is a huge musical fan, uh, has season tickets. Prepare has, a list for me. Yes, prepareth thine list. And she also, uh, she's been to Broadway musicals, like a ton of them. Uh, she is very well established with the, she's probably had season tickets for more, for most of her life. So. Her list is pretty is pretty good, and she gave some reasonings, so I have to figure it out because she wrote it down. She would have joined us, but she's not feeling well. Uh, the f- number five was the producers, and she okay. said the producers was one of the first musicals that, as, as when it was made into a movie, it kind of brought musicals back. It was you know slightly scandalous, and it was it sort of brought them back um, in the more modern era. All right, uh, Mary Poppins. Uh, okay. She she wrote because it was super. F- califragilistic expialidocious but her reasoning was it combined movie magic with a musical so they had the animation oh. and stuff like that and see i i thought we weren't including like disney movies because otherwise that would have been on well that was list. i was live action but okay she's not All here right. to defend that but it was more the live action side of it um, okay. I will admit myself that that was one of my least favorite movies of all time. And I quite literally, when we had to watch it in elementary school, would get a doctor's note so I didn't have to be in the room. What, Mary Poppins? Really? I hate it with a passion. Oh, my God. Wow. 
Yeah. And I'm un-American? Whatever. I think that's Get British. <laughs> I think that was more British than American. But, but it's anyways. made by American company. <clears throat> you side with the red coats. Yes. So number three, uh, the Chicago one. She said the it was really Chicago? good. It was, uh, well, mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. Chicago said it was really good. It, of course, won the Academy Award, I believe. It definitely brought musicals back as a as an art form that can make money in the theaters. However, she did say that Richard Gere does not really need to sing. So she has ever. no need to have Richard Gere singing ever again. That's also why Mamma Mia did not make her list, because none of the males in that should sing either. Her phrase, not mine. <laughs> yeah. um, Grease is number two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, all she wrote here was, it's the word, have you heard? Uh, my own personal story with that, I actually got broken up with over the movie Grease, because I brought someone I was dating to it, and couldn't stop scoffing every time they started singing, like me being like, oh, God, again. And after the movie, and after, and after the movie, the, uh, the girl broke up with me because I, I because I was making fun of because like it was when they did the re-release, like the 25 anniversary or whatever anniversary it was, and I was scoffing so much that she literally broke up with me afterwards in the lobby of well, the theater. I tell you what, why don't you check out Dogfish Dog Fashion Disco's cover of Grease? I would probably like that. I actually yeah. like the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's Pretty cover good. of all of those musicals as well. Uh, but number one. And it's actually a movie, a musical that I don't mind, was West Side Story. Uh, yeah. okay. Definitely definitely brought a modern take on, at least back then, on uh, Romeo and Juliet. And she also, I, I, she did have a Just Because on here. And she said the Buffy, the Buffy musical episode, Just Because. So that is her 5.5. Oh, that Buffy musical episode. She said it's not a movie, but she doesn't care. And she's oh. scary, so you guys have to agree with her. I I I One got goosebumps when when Buffy. I got goosebumps during that episode when Buffy revealed to everybody that she was in heaven, and they pulled her out of heaven to bring her back, and everybody felt like shit. I there's our, like, oh there's our spoiler. <laughs> we warned you. I was like, Buffy's been out for like 14 years. If they haven't seen it, that's not on us. <laughs> no goosebumps for anyone else because Rob had just had to talk about his goosebumps. That's right. Goosebumps. None for you. They're all for Rob. Speaking of Rob, do it. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I may I may call an audible or two on my list, but because um, <clears throat> I, I, I really want to include Phantom of the Opera, but I really like the stage version. Not so much the movie version that came out in, I want to say it was the early 2000s. Yeah, because Gerard Butler doesn't need to sing. Yeah. No, it wasn't Gerard Butler. I think it was Gerard Depardieu. Oh, yeah. I love saying his name. (laughs) But I really really want to include Phantom because it's actually my favorite musical. But the movie just didn't do it for me. Um, But I think I'll go ahead and start with uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. I love that movie. It's absolutely ridiculous, and it does have quite a few musical numbers in it. And it's got Carrie Ellis. Carrie Ellis, as you wish. So from there, I'm going to move up to uh, and, and looking at my list, I'm like, God, they're all they're all older movies. But mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm probably going to put in Blues Brothers at number four. All right, um, that one I like. excellent, excellent movie. Jake and Elwood, fantastic. Very good. A um, little bit of everything. Um, blues, rock and roll, you know, good time. Um, at number at number three, I'm probably going to put Grease. 
Absolutely, absolutely classic. I mean, it's no no musical list is complete without having Greeks <laughs> in it. Um, at number two, and number two and number one were kind of hard for me, but at number two, I think I'm going to have to slide in the Wizard of Oz. Um, the Wizard very of Oz is what's that? Very, very nearly made my list. Probably should. I mean, it, it is it is such a classic, and to this day. I, I will still wander around work at times and start singing if I only had a brain. And inevitably, at least one person will join in at some point. It must make your patience just very confident. Absolutely. It's fantastic. <laughs> They're like, oh, God. Um, but my my number one is probably going to be Little Shop of Horrors. Hey, just because Seymour? Just because it is so much fun. I love um, I love Steve Martin's song, the uh, the dentist. Yep. Son, be a dentist. That one. You'll be a success. I love his song. Um, but Skid Row is another great song from that movie. Um, and the uh, the Feed Me Seymour song. No, nobody. All right. I like that one too. Um, I like that one. And then the um, the reprise where they decide to. Um, Feed Steve Martin to Audrey too. <laughs> Audrey. I love that song. Just so fun. I remember the creature effects being so great on Audrey. Oh yeah, the movie falls. Guy, that, the cat. I was talking. Guy sure it. looks like plant food to me. I was talking about this a couple episodes ago, I think, where I was saying that there's like yes. a certain type of movie <laughs> that I hate, like overacted kind of movie. And mm-hmm. oh yeah, like I mentioned Tim Curry. I think and like. All geeks love Tim Curry. Like, oh, he's so awesome. And I, I mean, I know he's not doing well, but uh, I cannot stand Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's, and like that over the top acting, like Clue and Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I think like the. But I thought I thought he was absolutely perfect as Cardinal Richelieu in the Three Musketeers. That was fine, but like it's just that the thought, the stuff in the eighties and seventies where things were like overacted. That's kind of mm-hmm. where it falls in that movie. Falls for me. Uh, ro- uh, not Rocky Horror, but Little Shop of Horrors. Like it just—I don't think I've ever gotten through it. It's, I, it's just the overacting. It's the the kind of stage acting in a movie. Just it drives me crazy. Like I'll here I'll I'll make Jimmy understand immediately. Uh, like mouth noises, crazy. Uh. <laughs> I have no idea what that reference is, but I love Jimmy's reaction. With just the cue, mouth noises. Yes. I, I can't. I can't. Oh, man, I get it. I'm so sorry for you. Yeah. I'm sorry. You just you can't even. Yeah. That's how I, I love Tim Curry. Um, I do, too. You know, his his ultimate role for me is is uh, darkness and legend. But, oh, yeah. And it's, it's nothing to do with the subject matter, man. I just can't do Rocky Horror. I knew so many – I had so many friends growing up who used to – to go like every Friday night, they would go reenact it, and I always thought it was so stupid. I don't like the songs from it. I just I can't. Yeah, the people that but it that, but it did have meatloaf in it. That doesn't help. I don't like <laughs> meatloaf, <laughs> the musician, or the food for that matter. You didn't I'm like meatloaf in Fight Club? Oh, I love meatloaf and Fight Club. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. It's just there's something about that over the top like acting style that just drives me crazy. So. Okay, enough about that. That was our fives. So, are we are we gonna try and do a definitive? 
Okay, so let's here. We keep on doing that where we I say enough and then we move on. Okay, so I think it's time to, I guess, do a definitive, but I'm going to let you guys argue this out because I am not the best person to do it. So Okay, so I am going to give you Greece, and I will let you place that wherever you want on your list because I think um, we can agree on a few. Yeah, I, I, I think we can. I think we can agree on Little Shop. I'm typing in but in the background what my list was since it wasn't on the thing. I'm I I really of all the ones on my list, I I really feel like I need to fight for the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I hey, I can tell you where I was, what day it was, the first time I saw that. I may have been 4 or 5 years old. It was New Year's Day and it hadn't been spoiled for me cuz I was so young, but when it turned mm-hmm. color, oh man. Oh yeah. And and the the songs from that, you know, there, there's a story. My mother got very upset with my uncle one time because he was holding me and singing. If I only had a brain, uh, she took offense to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, where do, where do we put those? So you got Greece. Wizard of Oz. What was the other one that you said get carried down? Little Shop. Little Shop. Yeah, I think Little Shop comes down. Um, you know, I could. I don't know that I actually considered it a musical, so it wasn't on my list. But if you really want it, I could give you Labyrinth. I would appreciate that. Because those, there are songs from that that play through my head at least once a day. And that was a, a significant experience in my life. The first time I ever saw that magnificent man that, that was the space oddity, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. changed my life. Can I drop in and, West Side Story I, since some of you guys said... I, I was I was gonna say I, I would be remiss if we didn't at least include either West Side Story or Mary Poppins from Greg's list. Let's go with West Side Story. Um, that one doesn't infuriate me. Yeah, I yeah I'd have to go with West Side Story too. I can remember you know when I saw that thinking oh okay it's the Jets and oh it's fun and everything and then somebody pulled out a knife. I was like wow wait a minute and that was actually just in the movie theater. And had it nothing to do with the, the that was me. no wow. And I would I would flip flop Wizard Wizard of Oz in Greece, and I probably put West Side Story at number two or three. So that would be Wizard of Oz number one. I'd put I'd, I'd probably put Wizard number one, West Side Story number two. I'm fine with that. Um, I like that. So that order right there. So our definitive five musical movies in this order: number five, one of my personal favorites, Labyrinth. Number very four, good movie, Little Shop of Horrors. So much fun. Oh, so Rick much Moranis. fun. Number three, Grease. It's the word. What more can you say? Number two, West Side Story. And number one, Wizard of Oz. This read in our Absolutely about classic. Rick Moranis. He is he hasn't been in a movie since like nineteen ninety seven. He yeah, his wife passed really? away and he quit to take care of his kids, which is cool. Um he has done a little bit of voiceover work and he released an album called the Shut In Cowboy of like acoustic music. I'm, I'm assuming country, I would assume. But um, walked away from Hollywood. So think about that. A guy that was in some of the best comedies of the 80s with some of the biggest comedic stars of the 80s and 90s. Uh, Ghostbusters, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Little Shop of Horrors. Spaceballs. Spaceballs, yes. Dark Helmet. Dark Helmet. I think I read that several years ago. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was just an article I I happened to happen upon. I'm not sure. It was a recent article, but he didn't look back and... He's happy, but yeah. Nice. It's good. 
if you guys want to contact us to yell at me, of course, for my lack of musical love or to, I know some of you guys have very strong opinions about musicals and want, might want to drop in your own two cents about the stuff that we missed being non-experts in this particular field. Uh, feel free to contact us at give me five podcast at gmail.com or all of the other places we talked about at the beginning of the episode because I don't remember them right now. How's that? <laughs> Instagram, Twitter at give me five pod or check us out on Facebook at give me five podcasts. Excellent. Well, thanks for listening guys. Thanks guys. And if you want to see our video review, we'll put a link on our video review of the void uh, Secrets of the Empire will have a link on our page. Who's hot in here? Okay, Rob. <clears throat> Take Do off it. all your clothes. About to. No, Rob is the one that makes the most music references out of all of us, which is so funny. I made that fucking reference earlier. I know. Oh, Rob, did you? Was I not here for that? You were like, yeah. Fuck this. <laughs> Jimmy's in a mood. <clears throat> I'm hot. Okay. I'm wedding. And modest. <laughs>